Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here with you just minutes after the conclusion of WWE Elimination Chamber, here for the very first instant analysis podcast for getting over. So thank you, everyone, who's listening to this late Sunday night or early Monday morning, coming right out of Elimination Chamber. Thrilled to have you with us. Joining me today, Jamie Mazowskis. He is the creator of Mania Crawl, the bar crawl that happens basically every single WrestleMania in whatever city it is being held in. Uh, Jamie has been uh, someone who I've worked with for the last few years. Huge wrestling fan. He will be joining me on this, this instant analysis today. We're not going to waste a lot of time, but before we get to that instant analysis of WWE Elimination Chamber, a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. Uh, updates will be coming soon and hopefully quick as we go from one podcast platform to another. Uh, Getting Over is already available on Stitcher. I've already tweeted out the RSS feed. Hopefully you're listening to this one of those two ways, but we will be on Apple Podcasts. We should be on Spotify and a lot of other providers as well very soon. But as promised, we're getting into the instant analysis of WWE Elimination Chamber, which by all accounts, I think it's fair to say, was a B-level pay-per-view. You can't really call it an A-level pay-per-view or anything coming close to that when your world titles are not on the line or or your world title holders are not even at the show, with the exception, certainly, of Becky Lynch, who was there uh, backstage for the main event. You never even saw her in the ring. But overall thoughts on the show. For It was a weak card, obviously, um, and it was quickly built coming out of that Blood Money in the Sand 5 show. For that to be the case, I did ultimately think that Elimination Chamber Overdelivered. Uh, the first four matches of the show in particular were very good. A lot of high energy action. You wouldn't necessarily know it from the Philadelphia crowd that I felt was truly god awful over the course of this entire show. But for a show that didn't really have much attractiveness for a viewer who wants to see a true WWE pay per view, I did think it ultimately overdelivered and something that should have been a below average show ended up being above average. For that, I'm probably going to give it around a B minus for the entire show. Um, Like I said, it started out really strong. I would say that the final couple of matches did fall off. We're going to talk about each match individually as we go here. But one of the biggest issues throughout the entire show was the Philadelphia crowd, as I just mentioned. I don't think I've ever seen a weaker crowd in a major market than I did for this show. And I heard a lot of excuses for people. Oh, why should they be excited? This was basically a raw. Um, You know, oh, the big names aren't on the show. They don't have much reason to cheer. If you're in the arena and you've paid for a ticket and you're watching WWE and exciting stuff is happening in the ring, which it was during the show, there's really no good reason for you not to pop at the right spots, cheer at the big moments in matches and really get up even for hot tags. There weren't even big cheers for hot tags. So ultimately, the crowd hurt the show. Um, the Some of the finishes of some of the later matches also hurt the show. For me, a B minus overall, Jamie. What did you think about Elimination Chamber in its totality? Honestly, I thought it uh, exceeded expectations. I, I went with a real pessimistic uh, mindset, and I, I thought it blew it out of the water. I thought from top to bottom it was a really good show. Uh, B-minus, honestly, I think it's a little harsh. I'd probably even go B, B-plus, maybe A-minus. For what I expected, uh, I they over-delivered. I think that's fair. I think if you're talking compared to expectations, it over-delivered to such a degree that, yeah, I could see you giving it a slightly better grade. But I, I grade pay-per-views, you know, one versus the other, right? So I'm going to grade this against, let's say, AEW Revolution, against, um, 
you know, WrestleMania 35, whatever the case. And even though there were some highlights, and we're going to talk about them actually later in this incident analysis, because they were some of the first matches that were on the card. We go usually in reverse order here. Um, I, I did feel like as the show came to a close, it was a little bit weak. There were some concerns, and we're going to kind of get to that right now. We'll start with the main event, which was the Women's Elimination Chamber. Shayna Baszler ultimately won, going over Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Sarah Logan, uh, and Asuka, and Natalia, all, all five of them. In fact, Baszler was the first person ever in Elimination Chamber history to eliminate all of her competitors in the match. And she actually, I think, beat them all by submission, unless uh, my memory is failing me. So I think it's fair to say the main event was a boring match. It was not necessarily main event caliber by any stretch of the imagination. I think you saw that in the reaction from the crowd. Uh, there were long delays between entries that could have been lessened. They did it on purpose. It was part of the storytelling that Shayna was taking out her competitors so easily that there were these long gaps of time. But you don't necessarily have to give the full five minutes. We know historically that WWE kayfabes the time between entrance and the Royal Rumble, for example. They could have done that here as well. You could do three minutes uh, when someone gets eliminated, or honestly, they could have said, hey, it's a one-minute breather when someone gets eliminated when there's no one else active in the ring and brought the other person in the ring. So that was curious. But as I said, the storytelling was there. Uh, it's definitely what I wanted from the match. Baszler came across as a total badass, um, beat the hell out of most of the women, kicked the shit out of Liv Morgan that um, throw into like the bear, not even the barricade, the grate, I guess, on the side of the chamber. Very brutal. Uh, Morgan sold it extremely well. Uh, but honestly, the, ultimately, at the end of that match, there was zero crowd reaction, which was a massive negative. I kind of wish Asuka would have been given a little bit more of a match with Baszler to draw the crowd into thinking that Baszler might lose. As I say all the time, predictable is not necessarily bad, but the match as it was booked, the finish was so obvious that even when Asuka got in there, she didn't get enough offense to allow you to suspend disbelief. Do you think, Jamie, that that's a fair take on this match, that there were high points to it, it certainly delivered from a storytelling perspective, but from a match perspective, it really did fall short? Uh, I, I, I think it's fair. The one, the one thing I would say is that I think Asuka alone – did more in the pod than outside of Shayna Baszler and any other women in that match. Asuka in the pod the entire match was one of the best parts of that match for me. Just uh, There was something about it that I, I needed to see Shayna and, ba um, Shayna and Asuka wrestle at the end of the match. And that's why I was a little disappointed that it, it was a little one-sided. I thought Asuka would get a little bit more offense out of there. Um, uh, it really They built it up. You know, Shayna looks strong, but I really was hoping for a little bit more um, wrestling between the two of them, especially because the pay-per-view fell a little short as far as time. You know, it felt like it could have went another five, ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly, I think it was the second shortest chamber match of all time, obviously because Baszler eliminated all of her competitors that would kind of go hand-in-hand -hand with that. But yeah, you make a really good point because we got hyped up for Asuka Baszler on Raw, and then we got hyped up again throughout the entirety of the match with Asuka's antics in that chamber pod. And then for them to kind of not deliver on that to us was really disappointing. What's going to be difficult too is obviously Asuka has just lost to Lynch twice. She just lost to Baszler. Chances are on this road to WrestleMania on Raw, you're going to get a singles match, I'm guessing, between Asuka and Baszler. 
and Baszler's going to beat her again. So that theoretically could be four losses for Asuka in a very short period of time. I'm not someone who thinks Asuka has to be unbeatable as she used to be. I'm okay with her losing the, the losses to Lynch. We're okay. Becky had to get those wins back over Asuka to kind of play the role and the storyline that she's telling right now. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I don't want to see Asuka continuously get beat to this degree. If they don't do that, if they basically take the Kabuki Warriors off Raw, move them over to SmackDown and start this, you know, tag team title feud for WrestleMania with uh, Bliss Cross Applesauce or whatever the hell you want to call that tag team, Alexa Cross and uh, and uh, Nikki, sorry, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. It's late, excuse me. Um, then I'm okay with that. But it was a little difficult for me to see that be the finish to that match that was already slow and plodding and definitely lost the crowd. You can, you can um, blame the crowd for 90% of the show. I don't blame them for their reaction in that match. There was not enough done in that match to actually get them excited. And it was not fast paced enough uh, to keep them on their toes towards the finish. Moving on uh, to the second, uh, not even really a co-main event, but the, one of the other title matches on the show um, one of the couple of title matches on the show. Sami Zayn won the Intercontinental title, defeating Braun Strowman in a three-on-one handicap match. It's the first main roster title for Sami Zayn. I think it's his first title in five years uh, after you know, leaving NXT. I thought this match was strange initially. You guys heard it previously uh, on the Fastest 15 Minutes, if you listen to that audio. I, I understood the booking, um, but you know, anytime you make your face champion, someone as dominant as Braun looks stupid for signing a contract and then allowing it to be amended, even though that's not how contracts work. You don't really like that. Braun just got the Intercontinental title. This is a guy who never had a singles title his entire run in WWE. You're already making a change. And now you have someone new taking a title into WrestleMania, basically 28 days away. Uh, what this match really told me more than anything else is the Intercontinental title, Jamie has lost its luster. There is, there's like ebbs and flows for this title in WWE. For a long period of time, it meant a lot. Uh, they started kind of putting it on, on guys who maybe didn't necessarily deserve it or couldn't carry it with the same gravitas that some of the bigger names had in the past. And then they bring someone in to resuscitate it and make it mean something again. They give it to Cena or Reigns or Daniel Bryan or someone like that. And then it starts going into these lulls again. I mean, Shinsuke Nakamura was a fine intercontinental champion. The problem was he never defended the title. And when he finally did, he lost it to Braun Strowman. So uh, I don't necessarily mind Strowman losing this match. It was actually a nice surprise for me. Uh, but he's been completely mishandled. The Intercontinental title has been mishandled. And I don't know. Maybe you have an idea that I don't, Jamie. But what the hell are they going to do with this title and this storyline going into WrestleMania? The one thing I was disappointed with this match is I thought the, the idea that whoever gets a pinfall would become champion was a really interesting dynamic that I don't think they played into enough. Uh, obviously, the point of the match was to get Sami Zayn over in a way that still makes Braun look strong. But I, I really thought they could have a lot more fun with the idea of these heels wanting to win the championship and knowing that whoever does capture the fin pinfall gets the championship. Um, I, I think this match is leading directly into a Sami Zayn versus Braun one-on-one -on -one match where... Um, the match potentially ends in six seconds and ties the Rock's record from WrestleMania 32. Yeah, and that's certainly a possibility. And if they do that, man, there's going to be a lot of angry people. People that have been waiting a long time for Sami Zayn to get a title opportunity. And I don't mind 
uh, a swarmy chicken bleep heel. Um, that's what he is. It, it's nice to see for a change because he's fully that. You know, he avoided Braun the entire match. That was pretty decent storytelling for the Sami Zayn character. But if he's going to be that chicken bleep heel uh, and he's going to go into WrestleMania and lose the title in six seconds and they did, you know, three title changes in two months just for that, for me, it really does fall short. Uh, moving on here, uh, the Street Profits retained the Raw Tag Team titles against Seth Rollins and Murphy. You know, I didn't see that anything really wrong with the match. Obviously, Kevin Owens got involved. He had the popcorn spot there. Uh, I think he delivered a stunner to Seth Rollins. That's fine and good. Um, but there was nothing wrong with the match. It was exciting. I like that they're getting the Street Profits over. My biggest issue is it's the third time we saw the same match in 11 days. And we, when WWE is talking to us about not doing rematches, meanwhile, this feud with Owens and Rollins has been going on for months because they're clearly building to a WrestleMania match, but they haven't had the meat to get us there. There's not a title on the line. No one needs to earn a number one contendership. They just are kind of going back and forth and cycling this thing through. The Viking Raiders showed up, even though they haven't really been involved in the feud in a few weeks. It's a little bit of a mess to me. Obviously, the Rollins character, I like the Murphy character too, but... I need this to be the last time that they're challenging for these titles. If they want the profits to go against that faction at Mania for me, Jamie, I think it needs to be AOP getting that opportunity, maybe even a, a triple threat or a fatal four-way tag team match. As much as I like the idea, uh, and I, it's not that's not something I want to see at WrestleMania. I, I feel like we already have so many matches booked. Uh, I'm, I'm a lot more interested in the... Uh, Kevin Owens Rollins storyline, like where is that where that is exactly going? But you know, it's for me the the tag team titles don't really seem important enough to be on the on the WrestleMania card in my opinion right now. Well, I mean that's it's an interesting point because clearly the SmackDown titles are going to be on there, and clearly SmackDown top to bottom does have a stronger tag team division. But I think WWE has put itself in a really difficult position where. They have all these so many freaking titles. And WrestleMania, they know, is going to go long. You know, it starts at 5. They do the two-hour pre-show, 5 Eastern, of course. Uh, and then it can go really as late as 12. Last year, it went even later than that. So you're talking, I think it was like a seven-hour show last year, right? But they have like 11 main roster titles. And the NXT title is going to be on. Plus, you know they're going to get two battle royals. So would I mind if the Raw Tag Team titles weren't defended? You're actually right in that I wouldn't mind that very much. In fact, you could probably set up a match for the Monday after WrestleMania with the Street Profits, maybe with the Viking Raiders, maybe with AOP, and kind of keep another storyline going to take us out of WrestleMania into that. But I just have an ultimate feeling that they will defend them and that every title will end up being defended on the show. But speaking of those other tag team titles, Miz and Morrison retained the SmackDown Tag Team Championships in the Elimination Chamber. I thought it was a really good chamber. I don't necessarily think it was my favorite of all time by any means, uh, but it was up there, you know, probably top five or six. I thought the athleticism displayed by all the teams was great. Lindsay Dorado had an absolutely sick spot with the, um, what was it? A shooting star from the, the top of the chamber, just kind of falling down. Absolutely incredible. Otis plowing through uh, the chamber pod into the outside of the ring to the, to the ringside area was freaking awesome. It was a really good way to get, Tucker ultimately eliminated without really hurting heavy machinery as a team and allowing Ziggler and Rude to get that pinfall, keep that feud going. I just thought it was a very smart chamber uh, for the tag teams from start to finish. Again, very predictable. I don't really think there was anything on this show 
that surprised me other than Sami Zayn winning the title. That said, I don't mind the booking because Miz and Morrison just won the titles. You want the heels to take the titles into WrestleMania. And I do think there is a legitimate chance that we ultimately get a triple threat with New Day, the Usos, Miz and Morrison at Mania, possibly even a TLC match or some type of gimmick match. I would be extremely excited for that, Jamie. Honestly, I was really, really satisfied with this match. It went over a half hour. It was insane spots. This match absolutely delivered. Probably the best match of the night. Um, You know, the the Lucha House Party, they they absolutely delivered in a way that I didn't even think it was possible. I, I thought the flip off the top of the cage was nuts when... John Morrison got the Hurricane Rana off the top rope. I was losing my mind. This match had so many spots. It was, it was really, really enjoyable. But um, I, I do like the idea of the this. I'm more interested in seeing this uh, tag title defended at WrestleMania. Uh, not to jump ahead in this card, but I, I think that there's an interesting dynamic coming out of the first match of the night with um, Black and uh, Daniel Bryan that they they have a, a sense of self. Um, they got a sense of respect for each other after that match. And I really think that that would be a cool storyline to see them start to team up in the, the way that they could take over wrestle and uh, bring that into the tag division. And that's actually something I want to see at WrestleMania, see Daniel Bryan and Gulak uh, challenge for the tag titles, whether it's in a TLC match, like you said, or, if, you know, it probably will be a triple threat, fatal four way uh, just to get more people on the card. But yeah, I am actually really interested in the SmackDown tag division right now. That, that does make a lot of sense. For them to team up and for them to get into that match, you do have a couple weeks where you can build them a little bit as a team, uh, have them beat either Miz and Morrison or the Usos or someone like that and get a key win that gives them that opportunity. I do like that booking. And uh, I already went out of order because I forgot to mention Aleister Black, AJ Styles, but we'll talk Brian now since you mentioned it and then we'll go back. Um, I thought that was a shocking match to A, be on the pay-per-view. Then a shocking match to start the show. I can't think of a scenario where Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak, despite Daniel Bryan being Daniel Bryan, and obviously you want the pop when his entrance music hits to start the show, but a match between Bryan and Gulak, I never would have guessed that it would have started this pay-per-view. It so over-delivered as an opening match that it was stunning to me that they were allowed to wrestle that type of match to open a WWE pay-per-view. Um, it was basically a technical masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. Not a five-star match necessarily, but it was brutal. It was entertaining. Credit to Daniel Bryan for taking control of his career and gaining enough respect or trust from Vince to be able to do things like this, to put people over. And I love that they booked it in a way that, unlike in his previous run where he was like, he put Mustafa Ali over and he was trying to get Murphy over, etc. He was able to win this match and still get Gulak over. I thought it was absolutely perfect again not five stars but the match doesn't have to be five stars to be perfectly booked uh i'm assuming based on your comments earlier you feel the same way yeah no i i was i was excited to see this match on the main card uh, i completely skipped the pre-show so that I, I was a little afraid that they would bump this to the pre-show so when the start of the show i was pretty pumped uh it, it, it reminded me a lot of daniel bryan's ring of honor matches uh it was a, it was a true uh brian danielson classic and, uh, you know, Daniel Bryan was able, obviously, to own this storyline and own this match. So it, I, w- I was super satisfied with the way it was. I was surprised to see it at this show. I thought we might be getting this at WrestleMania. 
um, but which which leads me to think that they're going to go somewhere else with the storyline. Um, and based on the finish, I feel like it's a, a team of the, these two would make a lot of sense. Uh, get them both onto the main card. And, uh, you know, this match was incredibly stiff. The, the spots were terribly painful looking at times. Uh, the German on Daniel Bryan where he lands on his neck completely had me. I thought they were going to do the 10 count when he fell outside the ring. Uh, I, I really thought that was a, a real spot where he actually got hurt. But, you know, I, I thought this match absolutely delivered. I wasn't surprised as a big Daniel Bryan fan. I knew he had to, he could, he could work a broomstick and uh, put on a five-star match. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look at like Kota Ibushi wrestling like a blow-up doll. You're right. Daniel Bryan could literally wrestle anyone. He made The Fiend look good in a match. And, and that has been relatively impossible um, otherwise, you know, through The Fiend's uh, uh, work in the ring since returning. But it's interesting to me for sure. I do like the idea of them forming a tag team. Ultimately, you know, just massive credit to Daniel Bryan. And you're right, man. I truly cringed when he took that German on his head and neck. I thought he got concussed again. I was thinking the worst for sure. For To see him be able to get back up and just keep going in, to that level was extremely impressive. Certainly, I think it is something worth monitoring. And I am he's certainly going to get tested. There's no question about it. So hopefully uh, nothing happened there. And God forbid something does. Hopefully it doesn't keep him out of the ring for too long. We're, we're actually going to go talk about that Aleister Black match last because we're already out of order here. Uh, but we did have Andrade retaining the United States Championship against Humberto Carrillo. I did think it was their best match to date, uh, despite us seeing it dozens of times already. Carrillo was more over in this particular match uh, than he has been uh, since kind of joining Raw and being on that roster. Andrade certainly helped him with that significantly. Completely entertaining from start to finish. I am getting a little tired, certainly, of uh, the foursome, obviously, of Rey Mysterio and Angel Garza, uh, Humberto Carrillo and Andrade being the only ones that have anything to do with the United States Championship. At the same time, I badly want them to do a Lucha Libre fatal four-way match at WrestleMania for the title. That match would absolutely slap. So if that is where we're going, I'm okay with it. There's only a couple more weeks, but as soon as Mania is done... They got to change the picture. Whoever wins the title has to fight someone completely different. I just can't keep seeing these same guys, the only ones involved in the storyline. It's been months already. And it just seems like WWE kind of knew where they were going with certain matches for WrestleMania, Jamie. And this is an example of it. Uh, Certainly um, the Braun Strowman one's another one, but, but Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. And they decided so many months ago that rather than book intermediate feuds in between, they kind of have just been telling the same stories for three months. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I thought the match was good, but I think that it, it lost a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of value. Just the fact that we've seen it so many times, so it was really hard to get invested in this match. You know, it was a good match. Uh, you know, I do like your idea of a fatal four way because honestly, coming out of that match, I wasn't sure where this title, where, where this was even leading to. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I just. I'm sort of tired of seeing this too. And uh, it, it sort of took, it was a good match, but it took away from the fact you, you've just seen it over and over again. So, you know, it, it, it felt forgettable to me. That's fair. Uh, we'll, we'll finish up here with Aleister Black against AJ Styles, which I think everyone was really highly anticipating. Um, again, you knew what the finish was going to be going into the match. It was very predictable, but I didn't have an issue with that. What I actually have an issue is with some, People on Twitter, some people I saw uh, typing on Reddit and elsewhere saying the match was too long, which I find interesting because 
what do we always want, right? We want good wrestlers to fight good wrestlers on pay-per-view, and we want them to be given enough time to tell a story. Well, Aleister Black and AJ Styles were given 23 freaking minutes right in the middle of a pay-per-view card. They didn't have their best potential match, certainly, yes. It could, be, it could have been better, um, but I thought it was very good. Both men got the opportunity to shine. The no DQ rule was not over, overtly used with too many weapons. There was just the right mix, and you knew that the OC was going to interfere. They didn't have it go on for too long. As soon as they interfered, obviously the gong hit. The Undertaker came out from under the ring. A uh, ch- couple choke slams. Black was able to basically black mass everyone in sight, and ultimately uh, he got the win over AJ Styles, one, two, three, in the middle of the ring, which is what you want. You don't necessarily want the Undertaker being the only one who did anything to make that happen. So, so ultimately, that's what I thought should have happened there. I have certainly no issue with The Undertaker being involved there. It was a nice pop from the Philly crowd, one of the few times they actually did anything of substance the entire night. Um, and I did do think it sets up a nice situation for WrestleMania. Whether we get AJ Styles one-on-one with The Undertaker or whether we get Aleister Black and Taker against the OC in a two-on-three handicap match, I'm going to be fine either way. I would actually prefer the latter there because I do think it's a good opportunity for Black to get some rub from The Undertaker being in a tag team with him. So that is how I would book it. Um, but, you know, were you kind of taken away from this match by the length, like some people said? Or are you kind of on my side here where you were happy to see these guys get a good amount of time? Yeah, honestly, I, I, I agree with you. I, I thought the match was a good length. Uh, I, thought, I thought that about the whole card, actually. Uh, I thought every I thought it was the perfect amount of matches for a four hour show. I think a lot of the you know the matches went the exact distance they should have, and we got some matches here that were a, a good solid, you know, fifteen twenty minute match. Uh, so I, I was I was actually really happy with this match. I thought it was this was a WrestleMania caliber match uh, between Black and AJ, arguably two of the best uh, wrestlers on this roster. It, I was I was really um, hoping for a little bit more of the OC to play into it, but the payoff ultimately was good. I thought it was great the way that they worked them in at the end with Undertaker. Uh, I was actually laughing when Undertaker came in at his hands on both of them, and uh, that black mask that AJ Styles at the end was absolutely brutal. It, it was like jaw-dropping. It, he absolutely sold that. It was solid hit to his face. Uh, and, you know, the match progressed that storyline and uh, Alistair Black stayed looking strong and AJ Styles still looks like one of the best wrestlers in the world. So I, I, I would have no complaints about this match. Yeah, I just want to make sure that they don't forget about Alistair Black on the road to Mania. If they do, for some reason, go with a Undertaker AJ Styles one on one match, which I don't think they're going to. But if they did, you can't have been building Alistair Black this strong for this long. Um, and then basically just forget about him for your biggest show of the year. So I do hope they have some type of plan for him, even if it's that men's battle royal, which certainly is not the best match. But even if it is that, putting him over in that, giving him some type of feature opportunity would certainly be ideal. So normally some of these instant analysis here can go pretty long, certainly. But Elimination Chamber, a very unique pay-per-view. Not a lot of matches on the card. Not a lot of truly important matches on the card, which kind of puts us in this spot where it was a B show, we're on the road to WrestleMania, and it's something that we can actually move on from pretty quick. So again, uh, thank you for joining us for instant analysis from WWE Elimination Chamber. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Jamie will be joining us from time to time uh, as a a guest host here, um, a guest co-host, I guess I should say. 
here with Getting Over. Again, keep following us on Twitter uh, for new ways that you can subscribe to the podcast. We do hope to be on every major platform in short order. For now, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here for Jamie. Tune in to our next show on Tuesday. Bye for now.